Hey there, Veronica here, host of Real Talk with Veronica, on every Thursday from 9 to 11 p.m. on KZMIMO app. I recently had the pleasure of seeing New York City-based artist Cassandra Jenkins perform live in Salt Lake City, and afterwards got to chat with her about her latest album, An Overview on Phenomenal Nature. Things get real. We talk touring, resurrected song lyrics, dharma, mutations, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, performing, and the ever-constant in all our lives, change, and how we might process it through song. You won't want to miss this episode of The Artist Speaks. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Cassandra Jenkins, to Real Talk with Veronica. Thanks again. I've already expressed to you how much of a fangirl I am, but I'm so excited to have you on the show and get to give my listeners a little bit more insight into Cassandra Jenkins, because they've definitely been hearing you on my show for the past couple of months. So ready for some questions? Are you going to give me some hard hitters? <laughs> I, oh goodness, I hope so. Okay, so super stoked. I was lucky enough to see you open for Andy Schaff in Salt Lake City. Oh, yeah. Oh my goodness, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Have like this magical ethereal stage presence and an epic skirt that you wear all the time. Love, love that. (laughs) (laughs) So you let the audience know that you had just left South by Southwest where you were playing. It looked like with a full band, like you had this cool double saxophone thing going on. And then I'm guessing you have like, it's mostly seeming like you're going to do solo sets for the rest of this tour. So my first question is, how is it different playing with a band versus some solo shows? How do you make that decision for the venues that you're playing in? And do you have a preference for one or the other? I would always love to bring a full band. If I had it my way, there would it, I would never really be playing solo. Though I am enjoying the connection that's possible when I'm playing solo. I think hmm. there's a lot more of like, it's just me up there. So there's a lot more, like I chat with people more. It kind of feels like I'm just sort of inviting you into my my kitchen where I'm playing some songs where we're having a time and you know it, with a band somehow it doesn't it it feels a little bit less like penetrable um mm-hmm. in that like audience and stage relationship but I think that that can also be like a great thing because mm-hmm. it allows people to just relax and enjoy the show you know so I, I think there's they're really, really different for a lot of reasons. The main factor that determines whether or not I'm bringing a band is whether or not it's financially viable. And um, I think that's something that a lot of people do not understand is that if I'm opening for someone, I'm usually getting paid $250 a show. That's enough to maybe cover some of the transportation that's it oh my goodness that's pretty standard and sometimes I'm making more for larger artists you know I can make up to a thousand dollars a show but still that's covering your transportation and your lodging Mm -hmm. and you know I'm not here to tell a sob story like not making enough money but it's surprising how impossible it is to bring a band on the road and when I do bring a band on the road I'm usually losing a lot of money but that's because I'm I'm kind of getting that whole thing started mm-hmm. and it's kind of an investment. And it's also, I just have so much more fun when I'm with my band. So if I can bring them, I, I do everything I can to have them there with me. And in, in the case of South by Southwest, my solution was I played with a lot of musicians that were based in Austin because they had a place to live and they already lived there. So there was no logistical expenses. And that is something I've been doing 
a lot this year, which is when I played in the UK, I asked some friends of mine from Glasgow to join me out there. And it was great. Like we just rehearsed at their studio space. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, then when I'm on the East Coast, I play with my, my hometown crew from New York, who will be joining me at the Big Ears Festival in Knoxville really soon. Oh, awesome. Um, next week so and they'll be joining me for the New York show because this tour with Andy takes me through New York and um we're playing at Webster Hall and I can't wait to have my whole band there because I'll be we'll all be at home so yeah it's I'm kind of mixing it up the other consideration too is COVID and the fact that Andy's tour is on a bus and if you think about a band following a bus and how much driving is being done at night to make the back-to-back shows possible when you're in a van it's really hard to keep up Mm. and 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 also like not be just completely run into the ground by the time you get to your show so what's great about this is that I get to be on the bus with the Andy Schaff band and they are incredible people they're just really fun and sweet and they've been doing this for so long that they they like they've figured out how to make it really healthy for themselves and mm-hmm. I just kind of like fit right in there that's that's really my way of being when I'm traveling it's just to be as healthy and and um kind of like <laughs> peaceful as possible because it can be it can be hectic there's a lot of unknowns um oh totally so yeah I that's probably a more pragmatic answer than you wanted to hear <laughs> but I, it's it's uh, a lot of logistics. Um, it's like a wild, a wild business touring. So, oh, definitely. Um, and I'm in the thick of it. So I'm giving you the pretty practical rundown. No, I, that was, I mean, that was fascinating on so many levels. I'm really excited about some of the questions I have later to ask. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, we already hit on that. We alluded to that. This is gonna be great. We chatted earlier before kind of the, the official start of the interview, but like, I love that you, almost have this menagerie of like friends and musicians everywhere you go now, you know, in the cities that you're going to be stopping where you can call upon them to kind of, to, to be your band for the night. And I saw you, I saw you had the saxophone player from Andy Shaw playing a few songs with you. I saw that on Instagram. So that's super fun too. Like you just pop in, got like all these new friends. Yeah. So the show that you saw in Salt Lake City, that was my first show with the Shaw tour. And I asked Daniel, the sax player and clarinetist and, in Andy's band I was like hey if you want to just like listen tonight and then join me for the rest of the tour so Salt Lake City was sort of his chance to see what my solo set was going to be like and listen in and kind of picture where he would fit in and so every night it's going to keep changing which I love like I for me I need it I think playing with all different people Mm -hmm. helps me feel like the songs really have a life of their own and everyone breathes new life into each song and then by the time I get home and I play with my band in New York I've got all these new ideas and they're constantly evolving and uh it's it's all the people that I play with that help shape these songs and that's why I'm also always bringing new songs to the table too and kind of like trying to shape them while I'm traveling you know it's the folk process (laughs) no that's awesome well and and speaking of evolution your album an overview on phenomenal nature came out last year 2021 and then a few months later you released 
an overview on, an overview on phenomenal nature, which for me is such an intense treat because I love a good evolution, love a good demo to final form. And I mean, even what you're just saying about how these songs are constantly evolving every time you're playing them live with all the different elements. But I'm curious, could you tell me a little bit more about what you hope listeners take away from having access to kind of both sets of recordings? I think I read that you thought of it as a companion and a retrospective to the first release. And so it's just fascinating me. They're different spaces in time. They're different versions. What was behind that decision to have both out there and and give people that inside look? I mean, another way that you could think about it is a lot of artists are putting out deluxe editions of their Mm -hmm. albums, Um, but this one felt like a little bit more than that. So I just wanted it to have its own place. And that came from, again, it was kind of a a practical thing that then turned into an artistic decision. I get contacted all the time by either charitable causes or record labels or just people ask me all the time, hey, do you have any like demos lying around that we can put on this compilation or use for this side thing? And and it's it's this funny thing where I'm like, kind of, but <laughs> do I really want to put this like really crappy demo demo out into the world or do I want to spend so much time doing this thing that I'm not getting paid for you know it's 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 this kind of funny thing where I'm constantly being asked like give us this stuff and I'm like I don't know if I have what you think I have magically like hiding in my hard drive but but then I went, I dug into the hard drive with Josh Kaufman, the producer on my album, and we were like, whoa, there's a lot here, (laughs) a lot more than we thought. (laughs) And I was like, well, this is, this is actually stuff that I think would be really fun to share because he and I worked on my album so quickly. We made it in about a week's time. Oh, wow. Um, And in that week's time, we, we like quickly went through so many ideas and iterations of what the album ended up becoming and it was really fun to go through and see what we had sort of like left on the cutting room floor and my favorite track on that album is or like you could think of it as an EP I guess is the last track is the security guard um, that I met at the Matt Breuer Museum, who spoke to me and ultimately gave me the title of my record. I found the recording that I made on my phone of her speaking to me for about, I think it's like eight minutes. Wow. And I just took the the beat from hard drive and the basic like loop um, and and just let her have the whole song, basically, which was just really fun. I thought of that as like, if you take this moment and you just uh, on any record and you just zoom way in Mm -hmm. and then expand it to take up the whole song, that can be just a really fun exercise. And that's kind of what that is to me. And that's, I have to listen to it and I cry because I'm like, who is this woman? She gave me so much, you know. She's in um, incredibly wise. Yeah. You have so many little snippets of phone conversations or like little voice memos and things like that. It almost feels like, I mean, this sounds kind of creepy, but it almost feels like we're just sort of scrolling through your phone. It's very diary-like in a really cool yeah. experience the songs. 
you hear my thought process a little bit more. And I also, I feel like it elevates the final product for me too. And saying like, the, those are the choices I, I very intentionally made. And mm -hmm. these are the things also that I was thinking about, like crosshairs. I have my pitch down vocal. I love um, that. I loved that juxtaposition. I was going to bring that up. It's one of my favorites. It's I, you know, that was originally I was thinking about doing that in the final version and um, it felt too heavy handed to me. But, you know, that song is a lot about uh, sort of my own discovery of how I identify with gender and mm -hmm. um, just kind of playing around with the the depth of my voice is just like pretty <laughs> literal right of doing that but it felt it felt like a little too on the nose um but it it was also fun to look back and remember like oh yeah remember when we did that and like that was a part of it too um so yeah i had a lot of fun going through the hard drive and actually discovering a lot and being like you know what this isn't a giveaway i think this is I think I want to release this really with a lot of intention. And I feel like people who like the album will enjoy this. It was such a short record that like it's mm -hmm. it's nice to give people this little extra thing while it's while it's on their minds. It was for listeners. It was for like me and listeners. That's kind of it. No, I love I love that. I am I am team person who was like, ooh, yes, like more to dig into. This is amazing. That's so, awesome. Love, That's love awesome. to nerd out. Oh yeah, and then the, the last thing I'll talk about is the the verse in Michelangelo. Since you mentioned that song, um, that's about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm now singing that live because I really like when lyrics get taken out of songs and they're kind of offbeat and putting that in there. That was actually the first lyric that I wrote to that song, and oh, then it ended so up being funny. the one that that got taken away. So I have a lot of fun with that as well. But that was like the first question. I have my little notes app and it was number one. I was like, sick Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle merch, sings it live. Oh, nice. Cuts from <laughs> cuts from the final form. So I, I, yes, I just loved that it was on your amazing merch. You've got like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles busting out of a wall. With the pizza. Yeah, with the pizza. It clearly means so much and is probably a crowd pleaser. Like everyone's into it. Yeah, I think when when I'm opening for someone like Andy, he has such um like devoted fans who don't necessarily know who I am. And when you're up there playing acoustic guitar, it's really easy to tune. It's really easy to tune me out. It's like there's a girl with an acoustic guitar, like okay you know but i feel like there are certain things that you can say that will like wake someone up and because they don't really belong mm. and i feel like that's one of those lines where if someone's kind of like zoning out not really paying attention they're kind of like oh wait what <laughs> um and i love having little things like that in my set that intentionally kind of break the mold and then, you know, I could talk to you too about what that lyric means to me, but I really like ghosts and sort of things that weren't meant to be there and, and like allowing them to have a voice is sort of fun for me. And yeah, I do identify as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, so I like really stand by it. <laughs> I would love, give us the tea, Cassandra. I would love, please tell me more. I want to hear about your name. Okay. 
Michelangelo is about a lot, that song's about a lot of things, but it's sort of a really big undertone and a lot of my songwriting is like trying to sneak a lot of my spiritual practice into really just colloquial verbiage. Mm. And I'm definitely doing that a little bit in Michelangelo. And one thing that I was thinking a lot about, I found actually, I was looking through some of my old demos today and I found a demo that had a really similar bunch of lyrics about, well, I, I won't get into it, but basically like I have a, I have a genetic mutation that oh, was wow. discovered in the eighties. And, and I was diagnosed with this in 2018. And so for that year into 2019 and beyond, like I've just been kind of processing what that means. Wow. Um, and my this particular like we all have various mutations like everything's a mutation right but like certain mutations we can identify as being links to like a high risk of cancer or any number of things but in in my case i'm at extremely high risk for many cancers and um i'm constantly in between tours like screening um for everything and kind of under i'm undergoing like tons of testing all the time and always just trying to do my best to take care of my health. But when I was hit with that information, I was, you know, young and healthy and just kind of like having to process what that meant. And at the, at the time was reading a lot of about the I Ching and studying more Chinese philosophy. And, hmm. and I found that the French translation of the I Ching is called the book of mutations. Mm -hmm. um, in English, it's the book of change um, uh -huh. or changes. And I love thinking about mutation, not as a defect, but as a change. And change is something that we all go through and accept like on a daily basis constantly. And it's the thing wow. that we're constantly rubbing against. And in this case, I was extremely averse to the idea that I had this change in my genetics and, um, and learning how to like work with that, like aversion. And, um, one, one joke that I just have with myself always is there is some superpower element to having this mutation and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, of course, are maybe like the best example of that. And of course, for my generation, I grew up like worshiping the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when I was a kid and like I wanted to be April so bad and like role played her like every day in school <laughs> like and so as an adult I still feel pretty connected to those characters that they're you know New York they're like on the streets they're hanging out with the rats they got you know doused in some weird water and here they are they're superheroes now and so I, I kind of just that's like my very long explanation for that part of the song um, and just kind of my process of accepting flaws uh, in my genetic makeup, accepting changes in my body, accepting like my body just as it is, even though like it, it was just a matter of becoming aware of this thing. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, everybody's, everybody's unique and this is my unique set of DNA strands. So my goodness, I, well, first of all, thank you for sharing that with me. I mean, 
I feel like my mind just exploded a little bit, mostly because <laughs> everything you just said in that answer was you're just drawing upon the themes of change, the themes of loss. The other line, the Michelangelo, I'm carving myself out of marble. Oh my goodness. I feel like I just got like hit straight in the heart. I think it's it's beautiful to me that you are taking this thing that obviously it, it can be hard to process and you think of like a negative thing, right? But yeah. The carving myself out of marble, like you, you're giving yourself back some agency and kind of almost creating something beautiful out of you reckoning with this news. So I, I kind of love that, that you've turned it around. And I just feel like I'm witnessing like a beautiful moment getting to see both. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I have to tell you while we're on it, I act, that's actually just like I ripped that line from Pema Chodron, which is you'll notice this a lot in my songs and we'll probably continue to do this forever. It's just like I'm constantly ripping stuff that I heard in some Dharma talk or like <laughs> reading in a, in a self-help book. Uh, if you haven't read it yet, When Things Fall Apart is a book that I am constantly giving away to everyone in my life because it's helped me get through some hard times. And there's a chapter where she talks about sort of aversion and the things that we do when we are resisting our present circumstance, whatever that may be. And, and she actually used that as a metaphor for hardening against change, which I thought was really interesting. And then like how to not calcify in the face of challenges is sort of, I think, kind of what she was going for there. And and yeah, I love that like you can interpret it in so many different ways. The last thing I'll say about that is like, there's a lot of the songs on this record like cross-referencing each other and Michelangelo, his famous, his most famous um, sculpture was the David. And and I happen to have like a, a David figure in my life that's like a lot in this record. And and mm. I just, I don't know, I, I like all those those, Kind of, they don't really make a lot of sense, but they they relate somehow. And I, I like those hidden little meanings. In there. I like playing that song. <laughs> I feel connected to it. I can see why. I feel connected to it too, and now I'm even more. That is another thing that I was sort of blown away by your songwriting is it feels like it could in and of itself be a wise self-help book. Like there's so many nuggets of encouragement or just sort of like mantras to yourself that stick out to me. And uh, I love writing songs and I like write and perform myself. And I, I often will feel like songwriting has this like mystical quality to it where I'm accessing almost like intuitive higher part of myself that is, is like talking mm -hmm. to other parts of myself, like quelling fears or, you know, giving yeah. myself advice. Do you kind of have that too? Yeah, I've heard definitely. I've, I've heard songwriters talk about sort of manifesting things in their life by helping themselves through a hard time by writing a song that is from their higher self perspective. Um, and th there's some truth to that for sure. I think if you have to get up on stage every night and sing a song, you know, hopefully it, it's, it's going to be helping you either vent something or, or like challenging you to be your best version of yourself and reminding you of your own standard that you're holding yourself to. I think though, like in the case of Michelangelo too, it's kind of accepting a certain like lack of perfection too, which I think helps me. It helps me, I usually start that one pretty early in my set just cause I'm like, helps me 
kind of cut all my nerves just to be like, oh, okay, this is as is, this is who you are today. And this is what you're going <laughs> to give, you know, mm-hmm. and that's helpful. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know if, if I'm necessarily tapping in with a higher self or just like the part of myself that isn't getting in the way of myself mm-hmm. um, so much, like maybe the more like grounded earthly self is what I feel like I get in touch with, which maybe, maybe that's higher. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just, just I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where does it start and end. I don't know. But um, I do think if I'm able to shut my, my conscious brain off, music can help me access that and songwriting definitely like you can, you can have those mystical moments where you are kind of, you're tapping into something uh, beyond your, your kind of more monkey brain task oriented self, which is like <laughs> where I sit most of the time. Yeah. So. I do, I do love the, I think it's the line in hard drive where someone is like, are you always this high strung? And you're like, yes, you just sing. <laughs> I love singing that line too. Yeah, it's no, so it's funny. I think it's really comforting too when I'm singing that live to an audience when they're seeing me up there, like sometimes struggling or just like generally struggling in life. Just, just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm an anxious person. Are you anxious too? <laughs> I knew you were. Like, let's all just accept that we're a mess and like calling myself out on that in a song is is really I think like comforting because I can just be like yeah I'm anxious like I have an anxiety disorder and (laughs) we can laugh about it and I I think it's such a relief and I think that's like one of the biggest one of the biggest tricks for me in getting through anxious moments is always like flip it on its head like that Um, and I think about that all the time when I'm driving because I do I like I get anxious and mm-hmm. I forget to just like en- enjoy the, the scenery. No, that definitely. I do all the time. I identify. I feel you, girl. I laughed so hard at that line. I was dying. And I was like, I know this is going to be good. We're going to have a lot to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that. I think oh. everyone in America has like a generalized anxiety disorder at this point. <laughs> right, right something that is so striking and just becomes so clear in your live performance is uh, kind of what you talked about at the beginning. There's like an intimacy when you're playing live and you have so many different iterations of your voice. It's almost like your voice is playing a different part to serve the needs of each song. And to Mm -hmm. me, that just really just struck me that like you have found your voice. Like there's so much confidence in that and you can joke about, <laughs> you go from, you know, spoken word to just admitting and joking and, and giving some levity to the audience. Like it's okay to have anxiety. Like we've all got that. And I just, yeah, yeah. I that your ability to do all of that through a set, through an album, to me, there's just seems like there's so much confidence there. And I, I know that, you know, we talked a little bit about how you've basically been making music forever but did it take you a while like did you have a moment where you kind of felt like yes now I am sort of this mm-hmm. like here here is where my voice I've like come into my voice yeah um you know you like where you've just become like you knew you were Cassandra Jenkins or you just knew this is where your voice can be just as 
it, you know, I can listen back to recordings of myself when I first started performing in college and it's just, it's, I love that self. Um, but you know, it's, it, I can just tell it's, it's not my full voice. And as I've gotten older, you're just always, it's a process of becoming, but you kind of get closer. So can you tell me a little bit about that journey and how you found that confidence? Um, I have to tell you, like, I, I really wasn't coming from a place of confidence when I wrote that album. I was coming from a place of tremendous change and, mm -hmm. and like crisis really. But I think through a lot of that, I had no choice but to express my voice because mm. I, I didn't have energy to, to fake it. I didn't have energy to like do something that was anything but completely true to who I was in that moment. Mm. And I was making an album that I thought was maybe even going to be like my last album that I would make. I really, I didn't go into it thinking I'm making a statement here. I, I, I went into it because I needed songs to play on a tour that I was about to go on. And I had just gone through some difficult things I was trying to sort out. And um, I knew that if I got on stage and I was singing my old songs, I would just be phoning it in and that felt so bad to me. Mm. So I think the need, the need to not phone it in, um, that is necessitated. That's a word, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it made it necessary for me to be honest and truthful. Mm. And if I could do that with myself, then I knew I could do that in a room full of people. And I had a job to do. I was I was going to be opening for my friend Craig Finn, and I just like I just wanted new songs. And uh, the album was sort of like a a byproduct of that. And it ended up being way more of a project than I thought. But yeah, I mean, I I love that even in moments of intense crisis, like you can find that confidence. And I know that it's there, which is it's just funny because I I think. I'm going through moments like that all the time, like even still, like when anytime I'm growing or changing, I, it's easy to um, question what I'm doing. And, and I know that underneath all of that, like I know that something's driving me to keep going. And um, mm -hmm. I think being in the studio helped me tap into that, um, even while I was going through such a hard time. But I, I don't feel like I've arrived. I, I hope that I continue to keep finding a new a new voice and, and and to let myself change especially especially now that I've had my voice be heard and the last thing I'll say about just kind of finding your voice and how that feels is when I released the music I think that was a very different story and um, mm. suddenly I was putting myself out there with this thing that I kind of didn't think anyone was going to hear and people responded to I think that quality of kind of like, I am just, this is just me. This is, this is just me expressing my actual self yeah. and um, have people respond to that for the first time. I think that did give me that, that moment gave me a lot of confidence of like, oh, I, I can, I can say the things that are on my mind and, and people can support that. Um, I'd never really experienced that before. I think I can be kind of shy um, and very like slow to kind of express 
myself sometimes. And that was maybe the first time I ever felt like someone or a, a large number of people were kind of relating. And uh, that was a really beautiful thing. So I hope that I can like shed that as I move on to the next thing and relate uh, to people on whatever I'm about to go through and, and continue to just keep changing. Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen. I think, yeah, sometimes the hardest thing is saying the is being vulnerable and, you know, yeah. you, and, and none of us really want to be vulnerable. I, you know, like, even if you are like an artist or a musician, it's still, still not ideal sometimes, but you know, that's often when you are able to kind of get to a place where you strike the deepest chords within other people. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. thank you. I, I certainly related a lot and this is one of my favorite albums and getting to see you live was a whole, like it added a new element to that experience and, and talking to you has been the same. So what a gift Cassandra Jenkins you are to the world, really and truly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see what you do next too, because we're all just going to keep on living and writing songs. Right, right. No, we're all just going to keep, yeah, making it through. Um, well, gosh, thank you so much for asking me all these great questions. And I hope that I, I hope that I answered them. Oh, um, beautifully. And, and yeah, I hope to stay in touch and see you next time I'm in Salt Lake. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was so, such a pleasure to chat with you. You too. And, um, yeah. Come, you got to come to Moab. We'll get you to Moab one day. All right. All right. right. Have a great one. Thanks again, Cassandra. Cheers. Bye-bye.